Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Thanks to ReproMed, IVF and fertility experts with clinics nationwide. Begin your fertility journey at ReproMed.ie. This is News Talk. Yes, this is Alive and Kicking News Talk's health and wellness show. You can email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Coming up, we meet up again with our book club readers, Andrea Hayes and David Gillick, who are going to give their verdict on chicken soup for the soul. I talk to the island offering wellness retreats and all men are banned. And I meet Jen Carroll of Jen's Journey, who has just had surgery to remove seven pounds of loose skin after losing half her body weight. So what kind of health and wellness week did I have? Well, better than the week before, I have to say. It took me such a long time to get my head back in the game after my holiday. I just think it's hard to sleep in this heat at the minute. But I've managed to get myself back on track and I'm up to 8k in my pursuit of the 10k and 20k that I've signed up for in October. I'm getting there. And I'm also really enjoying not being a member of a particular gym. I I might remember a few months back I spoke about leaving my gym like it was some kind of breakup, something that I tried to do for a long time and just stayed in because I was comfortable. But now I'm just kind of picking up classes here and there when it suits me and it's just really taking the pressure off. It's probably not the most cost effective, but I keep telling myself I need to run more and running is free. Um, I did have a little less work on this week as well. So I've got to spend some time with my kids. I've had a few days out for us while they're on the summer holidays, which I just feel are ticking away. So that's good for the soul. Bear in mind that they do squabble when we're out and about and kind of ruin my Instagram perfect days that I have planned in my mind. But look, we're getting out there and doing it and I'm really enjoying it. Now, something that caught my eye this week um, made my eyes stand out in stalks and smile a little. Uh, it popped up in my newsfeed an interview um, with Maria Shriver. Um, she's a very respected journalist in the US, um, ex-wife of Arnie. And she was interviewing a couple of people who had brought out wellness products. One of them was a girl who used to be in the hills talking about her vitamins that she'd brought out for women. And it was the second one I wanted to bring you. Um, the product is called Honey Pot. Its founder talked about an infection, let's just say in her nether regions, that she said she couldn't get rid of for over a year. And then one night she dreamt that she was visited by one of her ancestors who handed her a page with some ingredients on it, things that you might find around the house. There was honey, cider vinegar. I can't even remember what else was there. But she woke up the next morning. She had an imprint of the sheet in her head and she said she went, mixed up the potion or the concoction and it cleared her infection And now she is branding it and selling it to people. I just couldn't believe that she was sitting and saying these things out loud to people. But I mean, it's it's a thing. It's called Honeypot. Maybe it'll change somebody's life. Right. On with the show. You can email aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. And I'd love to know what you think about the next story. It's an island off the coast of Finland offering luxury retreats for women only. Now, they say the presence of a man would be distracting and impede the wellness journey. So I want to hear from you. Would you agree if you want to retreat, do you need to remove the opposite sex? To explain the Super She movement and what goes on in one of these retreats, I am joined now by Vivian Gutbrud from Super She. Hello, Vivian. Hi, thank you for having me. So what is the concept behind Super She? So Super She is for women only. Christina came up with the idea. She um, used to work in IT and was surrounded predominantly by men and has always loved to travel. And so she started organizing trips with friends. And eventually she bought Super She Island. 
she really loved the idea of bringing community of women together to go on vacation, to really do whatever you want to do, um, walk around naked, like talk about anything that you want to do. And there was so much interest that came um, from all the women across the world, from Bahrain to Canada to really any place. Um, and with so much interest, the island just couldn't house everyone because obviously it has a limit, it's an island. And so she was thinking about ideas to come up with that she could make an island for everyone. So now we're actually in the works of a social media platform, which is our virtual island for all the women to come together. Because literally since the builders left creating all the lodges and that, there is no men. So there's not even a male chef working on the island. It's completely men free. Completely men free. So yoga instructors, chefs, and the suits, there's anything, but it's all by women for women. The no men policy is not because we hate men, but we're just trying to do something with women and for women. I'm all for the sisterhood and definitely there's nothing like a girl's night. There is a particular feeling. And I read um, a piece about Christina that you mentioned there, the founder of Super She. And, and she said she just didn't want men to distract women. So whether women are reaching for a lipstick to do themselves up uh, to be around men or whether they're reaching for a cover up because they feel a bit more body conscious around men. She just wanted to cut all of that out. Exactly. So imagine you're on vacation with friends and then there are some men around the corner you can just actually be yourself, talk about things that interest you without like a worry in the back of your mind. And that's what Christina loved and the idea really formed. So describe a weekend then. If you do manage, because as you say, it books out years in advance and there is only a limited number of spaces. What happens at the retreat weekend? So everyone obviously needs to go by boat because that's the only way to get there. And then there are cabins where you can either have a shared room or you can have your own room. And I think that's already like a bonding experience, like a sleepover that you had in high school with your girlfriends. And you're able to just share such intimate, great memories with someone. You'll have a chef cooking for you. There are activities like going kayaking, going swimming, going boating. You can get a massage. You can get a facial. There's a little sauna there. You can read a book have fireside conversations. There are so many awesome things to do. So what sort of feedback have you had? I mean, who goes on one of these retreats and what do they say at the end of it? Really, anyone goes. Uh, We have had any woman working in any kind of job. They had the most amazing experience. They all said that they had new friendships from all over the world. Women that might not meet otherwise, you know. Um, And they get together on the island and they experience new things together. Women said they lost weight. Other women said they started their own business, started a new movement. Yeah, they just get like positivity from the whole trip. And plenty are married, I assume, or have partners. Have have any women fallen in love? I mean, this is a modern society now where women and men get into same-sex relationships. So surely sometimes an all-female island, there could be distractions if you were that way inclined. I don't think anyone has yet fallen in love, but we definitely didn't just have hetero women there. So we welcome any sex, any race, any sexuality. We really welcome anyone with open arms. There does seem to be a lot more discussion now about the new feminist and female empowerment. And and often it comes up that sometimes 
women hold each other back rather than support each other. What what do you think is different about when women come together? Well, I think nowadays it's easier to be supportive of one another because there's been such a big movement in the last year that it's better to help one another than to push one another down. And we're all about that. So we're always say we're here for one another. We want to be there for anyone. We open anyone really with open arms. Anyone who identifies as a woman, we're all inclusive and non-intrusive. And we want to give everyone a chance to connect with women all over the world you might not otherwise get to connect with. So have you said identifies with there, are trans women accepted? Once you are yeah. identifying as a she, you can come along? Yes, as long as you identify as a she, we welcome you with open arms. And being inclusive though, not including men, like is there an issue with that when we're fighting for equality all the time? Why separate ourselves at all? Well, just because as we said earlier, Women get so distracted when men are around and we really just want to get an outlet for you to be yourself fully and not to think about anything else and to be judged or anything. Well, some women, I I was quoting your founder, but look, I do think it's a really interesting idea and your results speak for itself. I mean, when, when is the next time you have a free spot? I would have to check in the calendar, but... I mean, the island is giving you, the app that we're building is giving you a chance to win a free trip to the island next year. So we'll be launching in October. So I would advise everyone who wants to go and wants to have a chance of getting it for free. uh, They should download the app in October and just start getting engaged on it. Thank you very much for telling us a little bit about it, Vivian, from supershe.com. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. So Jennifer Carroll went on a mission to lose weight when she found herself at 25 stone. She lost almost half of that, shedding 12 stone, but found herself with two stone of excess skin. She recently underwent surgery to remove seven pounds of that from her tummy area and she has documented it all online, amassing 88,000 followers. Jen of Jen's Journey joins me in studio now. Hello, you're very welcome. Hi, thank you. So you're really not that far from the surgery. When did you have the, it is a tummy tuck. Yeah, so it's a blur de so it's a little bit more complex than a standard tummy tuck. So rather than just the incision being like longer than a C-section at the bottom part of the tummy, it also goes vertically straight up. Okay, so like an upside down T almost. Yeah, so almost like a fleur de lis shape. Okay, okay. Um, So how are you feeling? Yeah, I feel fine. Like I've recovered. The recovery has been a lot, I don't want to say easier. Everyone obviously deals with differently, but it's been easier than I thought. It's just um, the drains and it's a little bit tight, but it's, I haven't been in much pain or anything like that. Feeling good. So as we get into your journey, I suppose we have to go back to the beginning. So what do you think had led, and I don't say this in an accusing way, to you being 25 stone, do you think? My mum and dad always are like, it's your nanny's fault. <laughs> and they always blame it on my um, my mum's mum. <laughs> Poor nanny. So I, yeah, she kind of just gave me whatever. I was always big. Like my whole life, I was always big. And then I think when I was 19, I moved to London And I think being on my own and kind of student living and living on a budget, I just really overindulged. And I think that's when I really kind of gained. That's when I kind of crossed that line. There's like big. And then I think you get to a point where it's like dangerously big. And is it the type of thing that creeps up on you or you're aware of it every step of the way? I mean, were you feeling uncomfortable were you conscious of it always like I remember even being very young in primary school and being conscious of my size and knowing that I was different like sports day and all even as like a 10 11 year old it was always something that I'd be nervous about like when it was approaching 
and that's kind of sad but it was definitely something I mean I think it creeped up in the sense that I was always big and I knew that but I think it got to a point when I didn't realise you know when you catch yourself in a photograph or like walking past a window and you're like I didn't realise I was that big it's like I was so used to my size that I knew I was big but I just didn't realise I was as big as I was. (laughs) So what was the trigger then what made you say enough is enough um I had a bit of a health scare um when I was in London and I'd had my son and I think having my son really opened my eyes because it was like I didn't want to pass it all on to him and I'd always held myself back in so much that I knew I would continue to do that and I wasn't leaving the house I wasn't doing anything so it meant he was missing out he was approaching too and it was pancreatitis, acute pancreatitis. And I remember in the hospital over there, they were they kept saying to me, do you drink a lot? Do you drink a lot? And I was like, I don't drink at all. That's normally the cause of that. But they said sometimes it can be obesity. And the hospital that I was in, they were like, we can't deal with you here. Like your BMI is way too high. We're going to have to send you to a different hospital in the city. And I remember I just was so embarrassed, and I, but I ignored it. I never went to the other hospital. So I just kind of went home and I'd split up with my little boy's dad. And that was like an abusive relationship. And I think after I had Carter, my little boy, I'd gained about four stone in like the 18 months after I had him, just through like, I think, emotionally eating. And then it just kind of got to a point where I was moving home with him. I knew I had to change, like I couldn't be... I knew I was going to be a single parent and I had to be the best parent I could be. And I knew that wasn't going to be possible in the size I was and the health. Like I was just going to pass that on to him. Because it's really hard to keep up with a two-year-old, especially a two-year-old boy. And I was, his character is a wild, he's a typical two-year-old boy. Like he does not sit still. And I remember even last, I think it was last year and I hit my 10 stone goal and, um, we went out cycling and I remember just having a moment where I was, I got really emotional because I was like, if this had been a year ago, I wouldn't have even dreamed of getting on a bike and just things like that. And every weekend going cycling or going, there's like loads of blackberries near where we live and we'd go cycling and picking them. And I was like, I just wouldn't have done this a year ago. And he would have missed out on all of that. And then I took him away on holiday this year. I wouldn't have even gone on holiday. Like it held me back with everything. And you don't really think of obesity in that way. I know no. we talk about health or how you look and it's none of those things are really important. It's how you feel inside. Yeah, and how you feel inside. What you have the confidence to do. Exactly. And like, that's why I always say to him, like even things like just putting on like a tracksuit, no makeup, time my hair, I'm walking to the shop with him and having like a laugh and just chatting with him. Like I was, I remember it would take me hours to get out of, like to just leave the house when I was in London because I was just so embarrassed of how I looked and... I was just crippled with anxiety because I just thought people would stare. I remember I would put on like a full face of makeup and I would like the Tesco was like a five minute walk and it would take me hours to pick up the courage to kind of just walk around there with them. And now like I'll roll out of bed in the morning and like run down the field and play football. And I just love those things that people wouldn't even think about. Or like even now I was like after the surgery, I was like the thing I'm most excited about is just wearing a pair of jeans with a t-shirt tucked in. And people were like, what? And I was like, just little things like that people don't think about. Yeah, or just being able to choose something because you want to wear yeah. it rather than what's what going to cover me. you exactly. or what's going to make you feel most yeah. comfortable. Just picking something or not even having to put much thought into it. Exactly. And I've had so many weddings this year and it's been so nice being able to like go shopping and pick dresses that I would like to wear rather than what would fit me. <laughs> it's still a very tough road to mm. completely change your eating habits, completely change your lifestyle. So what was your step one? How did you start on the road to losing 12 stone? 
So the very first step I remember I was, I'd bought a food journal and I always say to people that was the thing that helped me the most. I know people always say like, plan, like it's just such a big thing. But if I didn't plan, I really don't think I would be where I was. And I remember texting one of my friends in Ireland and she'd done Slim and World. And I just was asking her a little bit about, I didn't want to join a group because I was just conscious of my size. So I was like, I'll buy a Wayne Scales and try it at home. And I remember just writing notes and I stuck them everywhere in the kitchen. Like they were all over the cupboards. And I was like, I'll just give myself, the diary was like a 12 week diary. I was like, I'll just do it. And I was like, even if I don't succeed every day, I'll still just track and plan. And I just started. And then I think it was eight weeks after that, I moved back to Dublin and I just carried on with it. And I just planned every Sunday night. I would plan my Monday to Sunday, my three meals. And at the time I wasn't working. So it was a little bit easier with me with cooking because I had the time and I was at home with Carter. So, but planning my three meals. And then when I lost, I think four stone, I joined a gym. So I started doing PT and that helped massively. And now I would be like training five days a week. And what was it like your first time in the gym? That was terrifying. I remember it was my friend Grace was doing PT with Sean and she had mentioned me to him. And he was like, well, bring her down and just see how she gets on. And I was petrified. I remember I had to buy like a plus size and I'd already lost four stone at this point. And it was like a plus size man's T-shirt and um, like cotton leggings. They weren't gym, gym leggings. And I remember going in with him and he was like, oh, just he was getting me to do some basic exercises just to see where I was. And I couldn't even do like a lunge. I remember him trying to get me to lunge. I kept falling over and I was really embarrassed. But he was he was just brilliant. And I just kind of had a really good bond with him. And I just kept going back. And then it took about, I think, six to nine months before I kind of plucked up the courage to go to group training. Because I was really scared to do that. But like I haven't looked back since. <laughs> You had such determination through the whole thing. How do you think you, you kept that willpower going? Because so many people start with all these amazing intentions and then after a while they're like, oh, here, I just want to have a McDonald's or I just, I just want to be happy in my own skin and not be so hard on myself all the time. It mustn't have felt that hard on yourself or it must have felt like a more positive way to go than the road you had been on. Yeah, I mean, I did try. That's when I started the Instagram because I wanted to show people that you can have nice food and you can still have exciting foods and like the foods I make are pretty basic and they're simple I think that's why people like them they're doable at home but they're a little bit different so it's not just rice chicken and broccoli which I see a lot of people doing and I think if I was had, had done that for the first month I would have thrown in the towel like I like cooking and I enjoy like I kind of would eat anything which is luckily like I'm not fussy but um just creating dishes and like the fake away thing is a huge thing. If there's something you really want, just cook it at home, but just kind of substitute stuff and you'll have the dish. And I think eating things like that and eating what I wanted to eat always helped. I was lucky in the sense that for the first six months, I never really got to that point. I don't know how. I just think I had determination and I was just lucky in that I never like was like, oh, I'll just get a McDonald's or I'll just get a takeaway. I remember the first six months so strict. And then it kind of just, there were days when if I really wanted something, I just have it. And I would never let myself feel guilty about it. And I was like, the only time you should feel guilty about food is if you steal it from someone. Like food is just food. <laughs> I would never let beat myself up about it. But And it's nice when you have a plan and you educate yourself about fueling your body correctly. Exactly. And you were seeing the results that you wanted to see at the gym with your strength increasing and you were 
shedding the body weight, the excess yeah. body weight. So you kept going. So there was no guilt attached to, to food exactly, because everything yeah. was going in the right direction. And that's why I always say to people, even if you try, I always think six weeks is a good time frame. Six to 12 weeks. I'm like, if you do it for six weeks and really stick to it, you always see a difference. It's like Even if you were to introduce drinking like five litres of water a day for six weeks, you always see the benefits. And I think once I started seeing the benefits, like I didn't see it in myself. For the first five stone, people were like, oh, we, I can see you've lost weight. I couldn't see it. I was so big. That five stone, I think I probably, I don't even think, I might have dropped a dress size or two, but I couldn't see it in myself at all. It was only when I started seeing photographs after five stone in my face, I could see it. But seeing the scales numbers going down, that just kept me motivated. And I knew Carter would kind of be starting school in the next year or two. And I didn't want to feel the way I was feeling. So that just really kind of kept me going and motivated me. What about then the loose skin? Like how disheartening to have so much success and yet be left with something that you weren't that happy about. Exactly. So I that's another reason why I wanted to really share it. Because I'd followed some people online. I knew it was going to happen for me. I know there's some people that might lose a huge amount of weight and they're really lucky that they don't have the excess skin. They might have a bit, but not so much that it would look abnormal. Whereas I was like, in my head, I'm losing 12 to 15 stone. I'm going to have like a crazy amount. And I remember there was a couple of people I'd followed their journey, but they were always in America, a few people maybe in Australia. And I think there was one girl in the UK and I'd never seen anyone talk about it or share it. And I knew it was coming and even my trainer was really honest and he was like, There's, like you could work out five times a day, every day, you're going to have excess skin and the only answer is surgery. So I knew at the end of the line that was going to be what I was heading towards. And I kind of back and forth for a little while didn't know whether I wanted to share that part because I never share I never even shared my weight up until like a month ago my start weight I never showed any kind of pictures of my skin at all so it was a big decision and then the amount of people that had reached out to me that had been struggling with it but they were like because clothes hide it nobody knows and they're like I, I lost 10 stone 10 years ago but I just didn't know there was kind of this much available to get rid of it and you kind of get to a point then where you you want to love yourself because you've worked so hard and you're so proud but there was days I'd wake up and I was like the way I look now is almost worse than how I looked at the start because it's so abnormal looking fat is just fat like everyone knows what overweight looks like if that makes sense but to see someone who's lost 12 stone it doesn't like it's not something you'd see every day and it was just, it was really disheartening because then I'd feel guilty. I was like feeling guilty for hating what I'd seen and people being like, you sh- should be so proud. You should love yourself. But I didn't at all. Like I really, really hated what I seen. And what about taking that picture and then putting it on? Because that was what really masked so many yeah. more followers. Up until then, it'd been more about accountability and your food and your meal planning. Course, yeah. But this was very, very personal for you to, to share that and take a photo of it. Yeah, no, definitely. I remember it took me a few days to share it and I remember back and forth, I kept thinking about it. I remember as soon as I posted it, I put my phone on airplane mode and I didn't think I was going to get like negative comments. I didn't, I don't think people, I'm, people can be cruel online, but I, I'd never really experienced it. It was just more so, I always say like with Instagram, it's knowing people I know see it. That always makes me feel a bit uncomfortable, you know, in work every day, knowing people. Yeah, you've have stood in your pants. pictures, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. always freaks me out a little bit. But then the messages that came in from people and people really open up online and they really share a lot with you and you really see a vulnerable side to them. 
and just knowing when people say like I've booked a consultation or I've decided that's it I'm safe and like I'm going for the surgery now after seeing your results like that was exactly what I wanted people to see like the possibilities after yeah like the big weight loss and it was and it was really positive so, so what about positive. then researching the surgery and I mean it is a really big deal it's and especially deal. when you've Carter and you're going to go under general anaesthetic like it's not a, a, a no. quick tick of a box yeah I'm getting that done it's a really big decision it's a huge one and it's also a very expensive surgery so I kind of was at a place where I was like I'm very very lucky with my mom and dad like even when I was in London and my relationship fell apart like straight away they took us in like they were finally living on their own like after getting rid of me and my brother and they opened up their arms to us. They've taken me and my two-year-old at the time in and they were so supportive. My mom even gave up work so that I could go back to work and she looks after my little boy. So I was incredibly lucky in that sense and I was kind of at a point where I was like, with my savings, I'm not going to get a mortgage on my own at the moment with Carter. So I was, that financial side of it, I was lucky that I had it. But then the thought, I just, I tried not to think about, I didn't watch any videos of the surgeries online. I tried not to think about what if this happens with Carter. I was really confident. I'd researched for about six months the surgeon that I ended up getting. That's how I found the Avoca. So I had looked up the surgeon who was just like an expert in the fleur de lis, the surgery that I wanted. And he'd worked in like America, Glasgow, and he trained all over. And I really wanted him and then I seen that he worked with the Avoca and Vincent's. So I ended up kind of getting him, went for a consultation. And I remember as soon as I had the consultation, I paid my deposit. I just knew he was right. And he, he was very honest. He went through everything with me. I remember the first thing he said to me, he was like, so the worst case scenario is that you'll get a blood clot and die. And I was like, oh God, I didn't want to hear that. But he was really honest. And he has to obviously tell me all of that stuff. And I just knew... I just knew it would be worth it. I still have more surgeries that I'd like to get done. Because you're going to have to get rid of excess skin elsewhere. Everywhere. So I'd have it like the next part that would bother me the most would be like my arms. My arms and my legs. The legs, I think, is quite a big surgery. I really haven't even been able to find many people that have had that, that have shared it online. So that's the one I'm leaving kind of to the end. But I would love to get um, like my arms back and breasts all kind of reconstructed and sometimes they can do that in one it's almost like a 360 surgery um but again I'm lucky that I have my mom with Carter because I know like I'm four weeks now recovering and I have the drain in me I got six weeks off work so it is a long recovery road but I just think it will be worth it like I just for my own happiness and my confidence and I think I'll be a better parent even with Carter just with the confidence so I yeah. think it's worth it. Because <laughs> I think that's a really important thing to focus on. I mean, because people will say, but, you know, we should just love ourselves. Exactly. And who and I cares that, yeah. if we don't look like Pamela Anderson? You know, that's yeah. not what's important in life. But, I mean, you said you won't get a mortgage, but your body is your home. Exactly. I mean, it should be something you that's love and true. you feel confident in. Yeah. And like you said, I did get one or two people kind of saying, you know, the surgery is not going to make you love yourself. If you don't love yourself now, you should be spending the money like on a therapist or something, you know, for your head. And I was like, but it's not even that I don't love myself. Like I do love myself and I'm so happy and confident, but like I want to be able to walk down the road like or go on holidays with Carter and wear like a vest and shorts. Like I don't want to be uncomfortable in myself. And I personally don't believe that I would ever, I know I would never be 100% confident and happy if I didn't have the surgeries done. 
And maybe that is something like I definitely do think I can work on changing my thoughts. But I think I have done that a lot and I have worked so much on that. But it's just like it's uncomfortable. Like when I was in the gym working out constantly, people didn't realise my tummy. Like that's bouncing around when I'm doing the work now. And like with my arms, I'm putting so much effort in. And the definition is there, but the skin hides everything. Yeah. So like you can't see it and it's really uncomfortable and it's sore. And in the summer when it's hot, like it gets itchy and uncomfortable. Like people don't think of that. They just think like, oh, it's a bit of skin, get over But there's more to it than that. A few years ago, there's a girl I'll never forget. um, I interviewed her and she had had gastric band surgery and lost a staggering amount of weight. But she really struggled with how people reacted to her now that she was a particular size. When she was obese, she felt ignored. She felt nervous everywhere she went. People were rude to her. And then she lost the weight and all of a sudden everyone was really nice to her. And she really found it hard to reconcile with that because she was still the exact same person. Yeah. She had just changed her body shape. Have you had any issues or, or, or thoughts like that? I haven't had many. I think the only thing is you see like people do treat you differently when you're bigger. Like they do. There's no question about it. Whether it's sometimes it can be children you can't blame. They're just staring because you're different looking. But even sometimes adults can be quite abrupt. And I remember sometimes I used to be like, oh, it's like someone would be irritated with you because of your size. And they would let you know that some people would just be rude about it or like in restaurants. And I definitely have noticed that that just doesn't happen anymore. But I don't think I've always been very lucky in the sense that I have a really good group of girls, like women, my friends. We've been friends since we were little, all of my friends. And I've always had the most support of friends and family. So I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't noticed anyone because I've heard people say that before with friends and I'll treat them differently. I haven't experienced that, but I have noticed on the street and out and about people like sometimes like I, and I always say what weight loss, your head is the last part to catch up. Like I so, not so much now, but I remember a few months ago. So like I go into it. I remember one time shopping with my mom, my mom and I was picking out clothes and she was like, why have you got all size 18s? And I was like, oh, because that's what will fit me. And she was like, but it's not. Like, you're smaller than that now. And, like, my head wouldn't catch up. Or, like, I'll go in somewhere and I'll think someone is looking at me and I'm like, oh, they're saying something about my size. My friends will be like, but Jen, you don't look any different to us. Like, but I would forget. It's like my head would forget that I'm not the size I was. So it takes a while to catch up. (laughs) It's an incredible journey that you've gone on. I mean, it's certainly not an easy one, but fair play to you, I have to say. And I wish you all the best with your recovery and the following surgeries, whatever you do to make yourself happy and confident. And as you say, be a better mom to Carter. Good on you. You can follow Jennifer at Jen's Journey on Instagram and uh, keep going. Thank you very much for talking to me today. Thanks, Claire. So you might remember a few weeks back we had uh, David Gillick and Andrea Hayes in studio and we set them the task of reading Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's one of the most famous self-help books, although I've noticed they've changed self-help in most bookstores into personal development or positive something or other, but you get the idea. So we decided to start with that one. So they had a month. So how did you get on? Because I mean, we're all parents of small kids. So reading is probably up there with your athletic uh, achievements. David. Uh, it's not well, easy. At the moment, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's it's been a busy, what was it, a month? About that. Yeah, so uh, it was probably enough time to get a, a book in. No, it was, look, it's in the evening time. That's the only time. When I hop into bed, maybe read a couple of pages. Um, I try kind of 20 minutes. That's probably what I'm trying to aim for. But it's hard. You know, during the day, I, I can't read during the day. It's just too too busy. But um, no, if, how did I find a book? 
it was it was something like you could put you could take up you could put down I don't think for me it didn't grab me you know the way sometimes you read a book and it's like you know oh the next chapter the next chapter it didn't really do it for me that way you know so yeah. I kind of found myself you'd read a couple of stories not chapters because it's all kind of stories you might put it back down you might read it the next night you know you might come back two nights you know and come back in and read a little bit more that's the kind of the way I found it it was more of a dip in dip out as opposed to a book that just grabbed me and you're literally just eating the pages because that's kind the of like thing that. this is the first book and there's been seven since this book so eight in total of chicken soup for various bits and bobs chicken soup for <laughs> women chicken soup for beginners but this is the original and there's 101 stories in it that are all fairly positive mm. and it's about parenting, loving yourself, following your dreams. But like that, it's a bit of a, I'd call it a toilet book that people, <laughs> I mean, I don't really understand the whole concept of staying in the toilet and reading a book, but it's that kind or a coffee table book, if we're keeping it nicer, that you just pick up, read a couple and put it back down because yeah. they're only a couple of pages each story. Yeah, I think David hit the nail on the head. I think that's the way the book is supposed to be read. But I didn't do that because I forgot my ecker and started this week <laughs> like reading it like a lunatic going, I need to read this book. And then I realised because I'd got into, I was onto parenting and I kind of put a stop on it because I really hadn't taken the parenting chapter in the last time because I'd no children. So I really kind of took that and that chapter had a whole new dynamic now as a parent and I kind of stopped. And then I, what I did was I just used to open a page then and whatever page I'd open it on, I'd read that story. And I think that's the way to kind of um, read this sort of book. The hilarious thing, which I didn't realise because I still like it, is that this book is like Marmite. So when I had it around, you know, showing people, people were like, I love that book. And they were like, that's just a ridiculous book. I mean, it's like not even real. Do you know what I mean? So there is that element of you'll either love it or I think you'll hate it. It's a Marmite book. Now, I started off great guns. Now, I think we were just back from our holidays. So I was in great form and we kind of came back on a Friday and had a lovely Saturday and Sunday hanging around with kids or with our families, still basking in the joy of the holiday. And then I started on the Sunday night. So I was full of good feeling. And I started reading these quotes by Mother Teresa. And like there was actually tears welling up in my eyes. I was like, this is fantastic. A few nights in, a problem I had with it is something you touched on there, Andrea. I thought they were all real stories. And a lot of them are. And a lot of them are based on history and their characters that you'll you'll know or famous people that you will know and mm -hmm. real stories. But there was one about a little boy called Bopsy who always wanted to be a fireman and he was dying of leukaemia. So his wish came true. Now, I know that happens all the time. You yeah. only have to look at the amazing work of Make-A-Wish Foundation. But it was the way it was written that it was written, they they wrote the truth out of it. It became like a little fairy story. And then I was like, well, how much of this is real? Are they just kind of toying with my emotions? I thought enough magic happens in life with coincidence and goal planning and manifesting and whatever that we don't need to make them up. Yeah, yeah actually, I, I kind of, I think I agree with you there. I think there was a few stories where I was questioning, were these real? <laughs> or were they just kind of dramatised to kind of just made to... To be something that they weren't. There was Tug another on one. the heartstrings. Yeah, it did a little bit. There was another one where Tony Robbins actually had one in about the vans going around New York. And I didn't realise, when I was reading through, it was kind of like, okay, there's no vans. And then it's like, there is vans. You know, and it's a bit like, and then when the name was Tony Robbins, like, that is exactly a Tony Robbins story, you know. But yeah. I was a bit like, did it really kind of go that way? Or was it made to sound a little bit different? So I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure were they, were they real? Were they just put in there to kind of bulk it up a little bit? Um, or was it something that just kind of to fit the the arc, if you like, you know, be it 
overcoming obstacles does that a nice story that fits that theme and that's the way they put it in there yeah I did love that one that was about Tony Robbins like when he was poor growing up somebody arrived at the door with a basket at Thanksgiving and it really helped his family so as he got older he wanted to do the same and he was trying to do it in New York and look for vans Mm -hmm. on Thanksgiving and it was really difficult so when I got to the end I mean I love him anyway but you're right. Sometimes they just make it so twee. That but they probably have to, it. maybe in a way. Maybe that's the way. But you have to we take are. it in context. This yeah. was written like over twenty years ago, and none of this wellness was around. Now, at the time, I know they got a lot of kind of people saying they are engineered stories. And what I noticed in this new edition that you very kindly gave me, unlike my original edition, is they gave the sources at the back, and maybe that was for the cynics like yourselves. Yeah, now, maybe. the only thing is, some <laughs> of the stories say source unknown. So maybe those ones are slightly engineered, perhaps. But actually, I really believe I would say all those stories are legit. The whole thing that keeps coming back to me is he tried to get this published 144 times, right? And he was a big fan of Wayne Dyer. I don't know if you know Wayne Dyer. He passed away, but he's a big kind of person in the wellness kind of area. And he was with Hay House. And he followed Wayne Dyer's path and he did all his own publicity. He literally bought all the books himself. He got it into the number one. And I think he's actually talking the talk and walking the walk. You know, you Mm. have to believe in yourself. And I think as Irish people, that's the thing that we don't have. That's self-belief. And I think for an American audience, they would have really consumed it. But I think now people should revisit it if they have it on their bookshelf, because I think you'd get a lot out of it. And this is Jack Canfield. He's a a major motivational speaker. Mm. And... As you say, there is something in every story. What did you get from it, especially in the parenting section? Well, the weirdest thing is two of the things at the start I do now, one of them is about smiling at people and I remember doing that. And then the weirdest other thing was I always say to my children, have I told you today that I love you? And that was in one of the stories. So Mm -hmm. maybe it had some sort of an imprint on me over 20 years ago. The one that I really liked, right? And it's very easy. The rules for being human and they're very easy. So you will receive a body, you will learn lessons. There are no mistakes, only lessons. A lesson is repeated until learned. Learning lessons does not end. There is no better place than here. Others are merely mirrors to you. And what you make of your life is up to you. Your answers lie inside you. You will forget all of this. And the last bit is, you do forget all the stories. I found they they were sort of forgettable. Do you know that way? But something sinks in into your subconscious mind and it will leave you with a little kind of happy feeling, I think. There was a major focus on love, wasn't there? Because even in the teaching section, they talked a lot. There was a lot of sort of similar stories of teachers who made their students write down things that they liked about themselves. And there was one in particular where she goes back to a family and the student of hers has died in Vietnam. And they had found that list in his wallet and a lot of his other school friends were there and they said, we all still have ours. And the impact that focusing on your good qualities can have on somebody is incredible and they are the kind of things we forget. Yeah, there was another one where, I, again, it was a teacher and she got all the pupils to, to bury the... Uh, the, the they got, she got them to write, write down... Um, write I down, can't. Yeah, I can't. That was it. And she they, they put them all together and then they brought them out to the, into a field, basically, and they just dug them. They buried them. And I thought that was really kind of symbolic. Um, yeah, yeah. And I actually resonate because that's what I kind of, not buried them, but I used to do that when I before I raced. All the doubts, I used to write them down, rip them up and chuck them in the bin. So it kind of resonated with me a little because I think it's a great way mm-hmm. to kind of get rid of those negative thoughts in your head. So yeah. again, something like that, again, you know, the power of one person and the role that one person can have on someone else's life is really, really powerful. And I think that's something that kind of grabbed me. But it, again, going back to like on parenting, the one that I actually read out to my wife, Charlotte, was children learn what they live. 
live mm. and a big line of like if children live with criticism they learn to condemn you know simple little things that you know how you interact around people and and the energy you give off and how that can be interpreted and then you know the, the the following act you know so I just thought things like that it it does there's stories in there that suddenly you read them it resonates and it probably just kind of it's thought provoking in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought I might do that with my kids, the I can't. And then you kind of you, you give them the funeral and I mean she really went into a whole eulogy, didn't she? And she's she saying did, yeah. like, you know, we're here to say goodbye to I can't and I will and I can. We hope that they will flourish now that that's gone. And then she had the RIP I can't in the yeah. classroom. And if anyone said I can't, she just pointed to it and said, We got rid of that. Yeah. And I think that's really good. But maybe I'll be pushing my kids to become pianists and violinists. <laughs> and I'll be like, Yes, you can. I actually do the I can't. And again, subconsciously, I must have got it from this book like years ago in New Year's Eve with my friends. And whenever, even if we're in a pub or something like that. Um, but what we do is we try to bury them, but then they wanted to burn them. And I said, Listen, we don't want to cause a fire here. We'll just stick to the rules. So we do that. And then you let you, I don't know, I do something with the things that you want to bring into your life. Um, maybe we burn those ones. That's what we do. Cause fires around New Year's Eve. That's us. Good stuff. I know, yeah. But I really enjoyed it. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm so glad that you brought it back into my kind of life again because I'd forgotten how good it was. It is really positive because we talk a lot more now about focusing on the positive, focusing on what we're grateful for. And it does kind of remind you about what's important family, love, yeah. positivity, gratitude. And it's just a little stamp and you can just read three little stories, have a little smile. I just found in places it was a bit twee and I was like, what is this about? But maybe like yourself, we were trying to intensively mm. read it and get an opinion on it rather than just dipping in and out of it. I think that's it. I think, you know, if you were to sit down and try and read it from start to finish, I think you'd probably get a bit bored mm. and it might just kind of fall a bit flat. Definitely think kind of it just tapping into it if you have a spare kind of hour 20 minutes taking it off the shelf and having a little read because there's definitely things in there that will resonate and you'll learn from it and just make you kind of maybe act in a different way or communicate in a different way um, for me definitely with two young kids you know new to the whole kind of world of parenting there was elements in there that you kind of think oh god maybe I need to be a little bit more like that maybe I should stop doing that and start doing this and that's that's not a bad thing they had a story in there about saying I love you and um a guy kind of came home from work and he was finding it really hard to say it to his son and he knocked on the door a few times. At first he was like, me and your mother love you and we're really proud of you. And he was like, no, I'm going in. And then the son turned around and said, I'm really glad you told me that, Dad. I was going to take my life this yeah. evening. I mean, the, there was a lot of them because you get so caught up in parenting and working and all that that sometimes you can forget to say some of the things that are, are and, most important. And it's the little things. The only one I didn't like was the hugger judge. Is it, was he a judge? The guy that went around hugging giving everyone. Hug. Yeah, I, I don't hug me on the street. That was the only one. Don't get into my personal <laughs> free space. Hugs. I don't like free hugs. Um, and I know that was a nice story, but I'm I'm not into anybody kind of touching me. I get yeah. a bit like, you know, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah. free hugs, that was the only one that kind of really went <laughs> well, against me. That definitely me. wouldn't work on Grafton Street or no. something like that. Could you imagine? And especially if he was a judge. But he went around hugging the place. But I thought, no, I, as you said, I, I think it's you definitely pick it up and you'll you'll get something from it. It's mad that the parenting one really struck a chord with me as well because mm. I was like, wow, there's a lot. We're, we have such a big job as parents, you know, because yeah. we have such an impact on our kids. Yeah. yeah, I thought you just played with them and kept them alive. But there's actually, <laughs> you have to try and build good, upstanding members of society. What would you give it out of 10, David? Um, for me, I, I'd say somewhere about maybe seven. Okay, that's a good score, Andrea. About six. Okay, I was going to go six or seven. Yeah, okay, I mean, yeah. it's 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 six, you know. Mm. Um, like, it's not going to blow the socks off you and it's not going to bring you to a higher place of consciousness. 
but they're nice little stories to dip in and out of, you know. Yeah, good. I'm going to give it a five and say the very same. So it's chicken soup for the soul, 101 stories to open the heart and rekindle the spirit. See, look, I'm the positive one here, you know. (laughs) We obviously didn't take that much on board. Thank you very much for giving me your evenings and your reading eyes. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you. So that's it from Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to Claire O'Dowd, who's producing this week, and Jojo Cardoza was on sound. Have a great week.